Hey folks, thanks for checking out Missio Church in Niner, Iowa. You are listening to audio recorded at our Sunday morning service. If you'd like any more information on the gospel or would like to learn more about Missio Church, you can find us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Missio Mount Air. Glad to be with you all this morning. Uh, those that don't know me, I am Tony Mercer. I'm part of the preaching cohort here at Missio Church. And today we will be talking through Genesis chapter 37. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to it, or it will be up on the screen for you. Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings, in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their father. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age. And he made him a robe of many colors. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, And behold, my sheaf arose and stood upright. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. His brothers said to him, Are you indeed to reign over us? Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I, your mother, and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Now his brothers went to pasture their flocks, their father's flock near Shechem, And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock near Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go, now, see if it is well with your brothers and with the flock, and bring me word. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem. And a man found him wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? I am seeking my brothers, he said. Tell me, please, where they are pasturing the flock. Then the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. They saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. They said to one another, Here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands, saying, Let us not take his life, 
And Reuben said to them, shed no blood. Throw him into this pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him, that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. And they took him and threw him into a pit. The pit was empty. There was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders passed by, and they drew Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. They took Joseph to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments, put on sackcloth on his loins, and mourned his son for many days. All his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Wow. So here we are, moving along in Genesis, and we have yet another narrative about this dysfunctional family. This, uh, this chapter represents a turning point and the beginning of Joseph's narrative. Up until now, we've been following Jacob, now renamed Israel, as the main character. But here we turn toward Joseph and God's plan for him that will take us all the way to the end of Genesis. If you've been following along with us, you might also recognize a theme here from previous weeks in the text. Now, Joseph is the firstborn child of Rachel and Jacob. He is not the youngest son, because that would be Benjamin, who was born just a few months ago and is probably no more than a year old. One of the first things we are told today in the text in verse 3, now, J J Israel, loved J now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons, because he was the son of his old age. Now, when I read this, I found it a little odd at first because Joseph is not the youngest. He's not the baby of the family. That would be Benjamin. But I think I can explain why Benjamin is not the favorite right now, and that's because of a harsh reality. 
Many children were unlikely to live past their 10th birthday. It is very common that up to about 100 years ago, children had a very small chance of survival. We can thank modern medicine for that change today. Before the knowledge of germ theory and genetic testing, children simply didn't have great odds to survive back then. There was a wide variety of diseases and genetic conditions that today would be easily treated. But back then, it frequently claimed the lives of young children. You had about a 50-50 chance to make it past your 10th birthday. And if you did, it was very likely then you could grow to an old age. One of the things I like to do in my spare time is uh, history and uh, genealogy research. And in Ringgold County, I visited a lot of our uh, cemeteries here. And the sad, tr the sad fact is that uh, almost half of the old burials in any cemetery are those of children. And so one of the side effects of this reality is that parents would often not try not to get too attached to their infants. Many children didn't even get named until they were a few weeks old. That is reflected in the headstones you will see that say infant son or infant daughter. And so I think it's possible we see this here in Jacob's family. Benjamin is not the son of his old age because he's just a baby. He probably won't receive any kind of standing until he's older. But he will play an important role in the next few chapters. There's another possible reason why Joseph is so beloved by his father Jacob. If you remember all the way back to Genesis 29, when Jacob came to the land of his uncle Laban and his two daughters, it says this in verses 17 and 18. Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful in form and appearance. Jacob loved Rachel. Joseph is the firstborn son of Rachel, the wife whom he loved. Leah was not loved, and I think it's safe to assume that Bilhah and Zilpah were also held in low regard compared to Rachel. It's not surprising then that Jacob would continue to love continue that love onto her oldest son now that she was gone. So just as Rachel was loved by Jacob, Joseph is also loved by Jacob. And he's not shy about showing that love for him. And just as he, just as he had no love for his other three wives, he doesn't appear to be showing any love to his older sons. Jacob is not a very admirable father figure in these passages. Jacob's relationship with his wives trickled down into his sons. It says also in verse 3 that he made jo Joseph a robe of many colors. And now other translations call this a robe with long sleeves. And what seems to be the case here is that this is a very fancy garment. When I'm home on the farm, I don't often put on a three-piece suit to go outside and do my chores. <laughs> and in the same way, this robe of Joseph is not something you would have worn to the field to harvest wheat or gotten dirty tending the sheep. This is a robe of nobility and honor, and it has a lot of significance to Joseph and to his brothers because it sets Joseph above his brothers. They become deeply envious of this robe and of their father's affections. 
This causes Joseph's brothers to hate him. But it's not just because of this robe. Backing up a little bit, it says in verse 2 that Joseph was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's concubines, and Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. What that report was, we don't exactly know. It could have been grievous sin, or it could have been that they were picking their nose. We really don't know, but it sets up Joseph as kind of an informant against his brothers. We all had that one sibling, didn't we? Or maybe you were that sibling. You were trying to see if you could really fit 13 Oreos into your mouth at once, and that sibling walks in and yells, Dad, you won't believe what he's doing. So it's not just that Joseph might be an informant. He's also having these dreams. The first one is about them binding sheaves in the field. And if you don't know, that's when you uh, bundle wheat together, when you harvest it. Thankfully, I've never had to do that. We have modern equipment that does that for us. But in this dream, Joseph's sheaf stood upright, and his brother's sheaves bowed down to it. And of course, he had to tell his brothers about this dream. And his brothers immediately see the symbolism and scoff at him because it implies he will be worthy of their praise one day. And then he has a second dream. This one is about the sun, the moon, and the stars, 11 stars. And they all bow down to him. And when he tells his father and his brothers, his father rebukes him because he can see the symbolism as well. And I think here it can be said that Joseph is kind of being a jerk. His brothers already hate him. He, he probably understands the meaning, and now he's making a point to share these dream, dreams with them, which only makes them hate him even more. Now, as I said earlier, you might recognize a theme here. Does this sound familiar to anyone? If you followed with us through Genesis up to this point, you might notice this is a common theme throughout the book. The younger brother is favored by his father, and the older brother has hatred and jealousy because of it. If we go all the way back to Genesis 4, we see the first brothers, Cain, the oldest, and Abel, the younger. Cain offers his fruit of the ground, but Abel offered the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. God had regard for Abel's offering, but he had no regard for Cain's. And so out of jealousy, Cain rose up and killed his brother. With Abraham, Ishmael and Isaac were born. Ishmael, born out of the impatience of Abram and Sarai to provide them a son the Lord had promised. But God kept his word and Isaac was born. When Isaac was weaned, Ishmael was laughing and Sarah demanded that he be cast aside so the younger brother would receive the inheritance. With Isaac, his twin sons, Jacob, Esau, and Jacob. Esau sells his birthright for a bowl of soup. Then Jacob deceives his father with the help of his mother, Rebekah, and presents himself as Esau wearing a goatskin to make him feel hairy like Esau. When Esau discovers that he had been robbed of his birthright, and blessing, he seeks to kill Jacob. The sin of Adam continues through the generations. 
And so we hear, here we are with Jacob and his sons. And again, we see the younger brother is favored, and the older brother wants to kill them. This is a setup to the second half of the chapter, when Jacob sends, out, sends Joseph out to find his brothers who are pasturing the flock. And now it takes him a while to find them. But when he finally does, his brothers see him coming, and they conspire to kill him when he arrives. But Reuben, who is Jacob's firstborn son, tries to stop his brothers from going too far and killing him, su suggesting instead that they just throw him into a pit for now, and then later Reuben can restore him to their father. Now, is Reuben doing this for self-serving interests, or do his actions show compassion for his brother and father? His actions kind of put him on the fence. On one hand, he doesn't want to see Joseph dead. But on the other hand, he wants to appease his brothers and their hatred of him. Rather than rebuke his brothers outright, he tries to compromise. Straddling the fence backfires on him because before anything can happen, we read that the brothers, without Reuben, see a caravan of traders passing by. And Judah says, hey, we aren't making any money killing our brothers. Let's sell them in a slavery and get some coin here. And so his brothers agree, and they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. Now, isn't that interesting? Judah betrays his brother for 20 pieces of silver. Almost 2,000 years later, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah, will be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. I guess that's inflation for you. <laughs> to cover up their deception, they slaughter a goat and dip Joseph's robe in the blood and present it to Jacob. His father becomes inconsolable, believing that his son has been torn to pieces. Here is yet another great example, another great scene of symbolism. Back in chapter 27, Jacob's father Isaac calls Esau, tells him to hunt game, prepare his favorite food that he may bless him. Instead, Jacob, with the help of his mother Rebekah, goes and slaughters two goats and uses them to prepare the delicious food his father likes and also uses the hide as a cover for his smooth skin, making him feel more hairy like his brother, thus deceitfully taking his brother's blessing. Jacob used goats to deceive his father, and now a goat is used to deceive Jacob about the death of Joseph. The deceiver has become the deceived. Finally, chapter 37 ends by saying that Joseph was sold into slavery to the captain of the guard of Pharaoh's house. Joseph started out as the beloved son in his of his father, and now he is a slave miles away in Egypt. To put it bluntly, things are not going well for Joseph. Now you might be wondering, why are all these bad things happening to Joseph? He seems like a fairly good guy, maybe being a jerk to his brothers, but otherwise, he seems to be an upstanding son. He obeys his father's commands. 
What did he do to deserve this? Why do bad things happen to good people? And the answer is, biblically speaking, there are no good people. We are all under condemnation. We are all dead in our trespasses and sin. We are all sons of Adam and daughters of Eve and share in the curse of original sin and live in a world broken by sin. As Paul says in Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Now, if Genesis 37 was the end of the book, the end of Genesis, and if I stopped here, we wouldn't have much hope of going on, would we? Joseph lives out the rest of his life in Egypt as a slave. We're all terrible people. End of my message. Go home. <laughs> no, thankfully, that is not the end of the story. There is good news ahead for Joseph, and there is good news for us also, which brings me to my main point today. Despite the prevalence of sin, God has a plan to redeem a people to himself. From Adam to Noah to Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and now to Joseph, sin has been present throughout the generations. And yet God's plans are never in doubt. God is not surprised by these developments. The actions of men have no effect on the will of God. His will is fulfilled perfectly in his own time. Every action you see in Genesis 37, and indeed every action you see throughout this holy book and beyond into these last 2,000 years since it was written, all these things are ordained by God. The dreams Joseph had were a promise given by God. No actions his brother by his brothers and no actions by those in the chapters to come will derail that promise. Jacob's love for Joseph, his lack of love for his other sons, the hatred his brothers had for him, Joseph's delay in seeking them, Reuben's intercession, Judah's profiteering, and his captivity in Egypt. All of these events are orchestrated by God to preserve the life of Joseph for a greater purpose. Now, I don't want to give any spoilers away because this greater purpose won't be revealed for several more chapters. And at its culmination at the end of Genesis chapter 50, clearly demonstrate that God was in control the entire time. The same is true today. God is still in control. This world is broken by sin and bad things will happen. We have no control over these things, but we can trust in a God who is in control. We may not understand why these things happen. I'm sure Joseph wondered why all these things were happening to him. His brothers saw the favorable attention that Joseph was getting. They listened to his dreams that foretold his place of authority over them. They hardened their hearts, not trusting in God, but conspiring in their own plans, seeking to kill this dreamer and prove that his dreams were false. These sons of Jacob failed spectacularly in honoring their father and in honoring God. These sons were all a disappointment. 
The world was waiting for a son that doesn't disappoint us. The story of of Joseph is just a small part of God's ultimate plan to redeem all people to himself through Jesus. Joseph may seem innocent here, but he will give his father considerable heartburn in later chapters. Jacob's sons all failed to honor and obey their father. Jesus never failed to honor or obey his father, even knowing that he would be beaten, flogged, and crucified. Jesus willingly went to the cross, not to satisfy himself, but to satisfy his father. And because Jesus delighted in his father, the father delighted in him to give all things into his hand. These are the words of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, starting in verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So what are we to do with all this? I'll end here today with a question for us to consider. When bad things happen in your life, will you trust God's ultimate plan or will you harden your hearts like Joseph's brothers? Do not despair. There is a God who is in control. His plan will not fail. His promises cannot be thwarted. If God can take this dysfunctional family and raise up a nation and a host of nations from all this calamity, just imagine what he will do for those who put their trust in him following his plan. Do not despair. There may be past sins in your life, but that doesn't mean you are beyond God's reach. Your past and your sin, those things have been claimed by Christ. He went to the cross and paid for them in blood. When you delight in Jesus, the Father will delight in you. Make sure your future is dependent on Jesus, the Son who will never disappoint those who put their faith in him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I pray that no one in this room would despair when suffering comes to the door, when uh, calamity strikes, when the things of this broken world infect our lives, but that we would have faith in you, Lord, a mighty God who has an ultimate plan. And while we cannot know that plan, we, know, we can trust in you, Lord, that all things will be brought to you and to your goodness and that your will will be done, and that your name will be lifted up. 
I pray, Lord, that uh, all those who hear my voice, all those who contemplate these things would put their trust in Jesus. That the sons of Jacob failed. They failed their father and they failed you. But that we have a son, the son, your son, Lord, Jesus Christ, who came to this earth, who lived a righteous life, not failing his father, but fulfilling his law perfectly, fulfilling his will perfectly, going to the cross so that many may be saved through him. I thank you for that gift, Lord. And I pray these things in his name. Amen.